Welcome to the GeoMob Podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, whether for fun or profit. Welcome back to another GeoMob. Um, for more than 200 episodes, we've tried to focus on how mapping technology and maps are used in a changing world. And we've spoken to loads of people. But this t- time, we're starting a new series, which is something new for us at GeoMob. We've partnered with Map Action, the humanitarian mapping charity, and they work in local and regional disaster management and emergencies worldwide. Um, and we're going to talk to them about how humanitarian mapping is used, but particularly about partnerships, um, because a lot of the work they do is partnerships. So in today's episode, we're going to be exploring the humanitarian use of GI, and we'll be looking at how mapping has come to be a key part of the Caribbean strategy to respond to and to prepare for future emergencies. My guests today are... Well, they're both experts, but they're also lovely people. You know, we've had a chat beforehand, and it's going to be a lot of fun talking to them. But they work in emergencies. They've lived through earthquakes and storms and hurricanes and floods and I think even volcanoes. Someone will correct me if I've got that wrong. But, you know, so these people have lived this stuff. It's not sort of abstract stuff that we're doing sitting in an armchair back in London or New York. Um, Rene Bab is a GIS and remote sensing specialist. She's got a lot of experience. I'm not even going to give the number of years because otherwise it makes her sound older than she looks to me. Rene is the GI lead at the Caribbean Disaster and Emergency Management Agency, which is known by the acronym SEDEMA, and she's been working to incorporate GI technology and data into projects covering disaster management, risk reduction, and preparing for climate change. Laverne Ryan is the GI manager for the government of Montserrat, where she's worked for the last 20... Whoops, I said it, 20 years. Sorry, Laverne. Um, she holds a master's in GIS from the University of Edinburgh. Um, quite a lot of our speakers have come from the University of Edinburgh over the last four years. And she's also a Map Action volunteer. And finally, Alan Mills, who has been honoured with an MBE, has been with Map Action for over 15 years now, and was there right at the beginning of this partnership between Map Action and Sedema. He's worked on numerous emergency missions, including hurricanes in Jamaica, the Bahamas, and the British Virgin Islands. So this is quite a crew we've got here today to talk about emergency management and GIS in the Caribbean. So welcome, Rene. Welcome, Laverne. Welcome, Alan. Um, First up, Introduce yourselves, explain what you do today, and tell our listeners a little bit about how you got to where you are today, what your journey in GEO has been. So, starting up, Renee. Hey, um, so I'm from Barbados, and I've always had a love of geography growing up. 
And I started my career journey doing a undergraduate degree in surveying and land information. And that's where I started with my interest and my passion in geoinformatics and remote sensing. And then I've applied that over the years, and won't call the number like you said, uh, to many sectors ranging from energy, agriculture, transportation, and many more. And now I found myself applying these same te- techniques in disaster management, with issues relating to disaster management, and also tackling climate change. So that's that's me in a nutshell. Okay, so Laverne, um, tell us about yourself. Hi, Stephen. Hi. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. My name, my name is Lavin Ryan. I'm from the island of Montserrat. It's a volcanic active island, still active, and I, yes, I live here. Um, I first got introduced to GIS, um, coincidentally, because my undergraduate degrees were in computer science and business, so it was not on my radar at all. But on returning home after I finished studying, I met uh, an individual who was um, volunteering here, and he introduced me to GIS. And I can say the rest is history. I'm now locked in. Uh, You said the years. I've been working in the field since 2002, 2003. So that's been 20 years, and it has been going good. Um, Currently, I am the GIS manager on Montserrat, so I do apply GIS to all aspects of um, all applications, whether it's utility management, land use management, um, biodiversity, conservation, and of course, disaster management, which is how I met these other two participants on your podcast today. Okay, welcome. Um, Just to give some of our listeners who are not quite as geographically literate as they should be, how big is Montserrat? How many people live there? Oh, dear. (laughs) So Montserrat is very small. We we were originally 13 and a half square miles. Um, Since the volcano erupted, we have gone about another square mile, so about 40 and a half square miles now. However, we are only occupying two-thirds of the island. So um, we're occupying one-third of the island. Two-thirds have been um, named um, an exclusion zone. And we have a population of under 5,000 people. And we're currently undertaking our census, which may reveal that our population is declining. But we'll wait for those numbers. Okay, so it's... But it's, it's simply, it's it's really tiny. It's a small island. Only one third of it is safe to live on. And there's only about 5,000. So this is like a a small town in England. I mean, that's like... I mean, correct, correct. Okay. It's just giving people a sense of perspective. And, and, and Renee, just to talk about... Um, you're from Barbados. Um, just to, again... How big is Barbados? Uh, we're just about 167 square miles. Right. 13 miles wide and 21 miles long. Mm-hmm. And we have a population of just under 300,000 people. Wow. So still small. Still small. Yeah. 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 So, okay. And we'll get to Sedima in a minute, and then we can talk about all the other 
nation, well, they're all islands, aren't they? All the other islands in the Caribbean that form Sedima. Okay, um, but I've missed you out, Alan. I haven't really. I, I knew you were going to be there. So introduce yourself. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I, I'm Alan. I'm from uh, Liverpool originally, which is half a million people. So that sort of puts things into context. And um, it's, it's interesting. When I was uh, growing up, I used to draw maps with felt-tip pens of small islands. And I ended up in a career working in small islands. Um, but I was always going to be a geographer, I think. My, my father realized this from an early age. And I've been a professional geographer using GIS and remote sensing for over 30 years now across the world, but especially in these small island states. And it's quite interesting these days, they like to call themselves great ocean states because they, they look after such a large area of our marine uh, environment. And I started out 10 years in government in the UK and with the University of Greenwich doing a range of, of projects on a whole host of subjects, a bit like René, uh, sort of covering insect pests, land use, land rights, uh, issues about uh, statistics and coastal zone management. And it was that sort of coastal zone management that got me involved in projects in the Caribbean. And I ended up working in the British Virgin Islands for two years as their national GIS officer, uh, looking a lot at conservation and, and the beautiful environment that there is out there. Uh, and so one day I'll be looking at statistics and another day I'll be monitoring turtle egg uh, counts in, in, in nests. So it was always very varied. And since I've been back in the UK, I've just been a freelance consultant carrying on that kind of work. And um, it was just interesting, about 2005, uh, the Sri Lankans, uh, the, the Indian Ocean tsunami had just happened. And I heard about this charity that had uh, gone out to Sri Lanka to go and respond. It was their first ever mission. And I rang up the uh, leader of it and said, can I join? And a couple of months later, I was part of the team. And that was Map Action. And, uh, you know, I've been with Map Action for 18 years now, if we're going to quote times. And as you say, worked across a whole bunch of different responses over the years. But I'm also... I've developed their preparedness program, which is sort of saying, well, if we do things in response, can we do things faster and better if we are prepared in advance? And it was that sort of work that got me interested in working with Sedema. Rene, can you explain what Sedema is, what it does, and why it was founded? Oh, for sure. Um, so in 1991... We were formed under a intergovernmental treaty by the Caribbean community, which we call CARICOM. And we were formed as the Caribbean Disaster Emergency Response Agency, where we were primarily responsible for coordinating emergency response and relief efforts to our participating states. And over the years, we've been doing that until 2009, when we transitioned to Sedema as a Caribbean Disaster Emergency Management Agency to really embrace the principles and practice of comprehensive disaster management for our 19 participating states. And, and the 19 countries that, that we respond to are varied in land size, population size, types of hazards that are impacted, and it covers five British overseas territories and two South American countries in Guyana and Suriname. 
and a Latin, Ameri- a Latin American country, Belize, and then the English-speaking Caribbean countries, as well as Haiti. So we have a massive amount of space to cover. And so we've divided up the the countries into four regional focal points. So we have Jamaica, Antigua and Barbuda, Trinidad and Tobago, and Barbados covering a number of the countries to support our efforts in making sure everyone gets uh, our access to our products and our, our support in terms of emergencies and disasters impacting them. Great. And is the Caribbean particularly vulnerable to natural disasters? And if so, why? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know if it's because we are perfectly or imperfectly positioned geographically, <laughs> <laughs> but when weather systems form off the western coast of Africa, they move westward and we're right in their path and they become strong hurricanes with winds and waves and immense rain impacting our countries with storm surge and wind damage and even flooding. But then also from the seismic aspect, the the tectonic plates moving, the history has shown that most of the Caribbean islands are volcanically formed. And so we have a lot of seismic activity that we're prone to in the region from earthquakes and volcanoes. But we also have other... You've, other types of, you've got the of lot. disasters. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's never a dull moment. <laughs> <laughs> you've got the lot, Alan. Yeah, I'd just like to uh, put a bit of a sort of metaphor in there that sometimes the storm season in sort of August, September is called Hurricane Alley because there's a whole series of these storms that are bowling across the uh, Atlantic from West Africa and the Caribbean islands are like the pins. And it's a matter of where the hurricane is going to hit is how many of the pins they're going to knock down. And, you know, it is a couple of months. It's always a little bit tense for the region to, to get used to. I, I have to say, you know, sitting here, you know, the old man sitting in North London, you know, we, I hear, I see the, the sort of the stuff on the news, you know, and you'll see a 30 second clip of massive winds and the trees bending over or something. And you think, oh, that looks pretty rough. But now I'm sitting talking to people who live with this every single year, because I'm presuming somewhere in the Caribbean gets hit by this stuff every year. Yes. Wow. So you would you would probably include um in the seasons we include ours as hurricane season. You may have winter, autumn, spring, but we say hurricane season as well. So that's just a thing that we've gotten accustomed to. So you have five seasons. Yes. From the first of June to the end of November, we know it's hurricane season. So Alan, tell Tell me, how did Matt Action first get involved with Sedema and why did that happen? Well, actually, Map Action had been working in the Caribbean since almost since inception. I uh, remember the first mission, I think, was in Suriname for some floods in 2006, so way back. And my first ever uh, deployment was to the Dominican Republic the next year for a storm. Um, and over the years, you know, there were several different sort of events, and probably the one that 
were in many people's minds was the big earthquake in Port-au-Prince in Haiti. Uh, and at the time, a lot of the big international agencies would be the ones that would be going in there, rapidly deploying lots and lots of people to try and uh, search and rescue and then sort out the aid and any sort of follow-up uh, support that's needed. And uh, the fact is, at the same time, I was working up and down the Caribbean as a private consultant and attending these conferences in uh, the Caribbean that uh, the Urban and Regional Information Systems Association based out of the US were organising. And I started realising there was a lot of capacity being built up. People like Laverne and Rene uh, were learning about GIS and remote sensing. And then suddenly became aware of Sidera through some work I did on disaster risk reduction and, and hazard mapping that was being done by them back in the sort of late 20 zeros. Uh, um, and Map Action started to talk to them a little bit about well, what, what is it you're doing? And we realized that they didn't really have their own mapping and GIS capacity. And uh, that was where I was starting to get interested. And then it happened to be that I was on a mission to uh, Jamaica with the UN system and a hurricane was supposed to hit Jamaica. It never did, but it moved forward and went into the Bahamas instead. And that Sedema uh, 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 Bahamas was one of the member states of Sedema and requested help from them. And we met up as a team and supported the what they call the rapid needs assessment. Uh, team work uh, to find out what had gone wrong and what the gaps were that needed filling and I supplied a lot of the mapping for that that period and it just you know from the conversations that happened then we realized that we could do a lot more of that and over the next couple of years in fact there was a, a couple of really big storms um, I think we'll talk about them later on in a little bit more detail but the more we practiced together the more we realized we could do sort of preparatory work to get be uh, ready better um, for, for these storms. Okay, so let's talk. Let's talk about the sharp end, um, Laverne. You were at the sharp end um, during a volcanic eruption. Can you can you tell us what that was like? But also, what a GI person does when the ground is shaking and all that sort of stuff is going on. Sure, I'll be happy to share my experience. So, I, like I mentioned before, I live on the volcanic island of Montserrat. Um, in 1995, the volcano erupted for the very first time. And I remember it like it was yesterday, although it was almost 28 years ago. I was 13 years old at the time. Um, we were in school. Um, my school was in the southern um, end of the island. And it was just basically... Um, chaos, panic, everybody was trying to head northwards. Um, I remember seeing a big gray ash cloud in the sky, and eventually that ash fell. So the place was dark, um, the roads were icky and slippery, and persons were really trying to get to safety. Um, over the span of a month when things became clearer that the volcano has indeed erupted, um, a lot of persons were displaced from their homes. And that included persons having to stay with me and my family because we already lived in the northern portion. So a lot of family members came to our house. <laughs> um, it was very calm. It was very busy. Um, and eventually, through all the chaos and everything, my mom decided that um, I should, myself and my brother, she sent us both to Antigua. Uh, Antigua is the closest island to Montserrat. Um, However, when I got to Antigua in 1995, 
the September, we were faced with Hurricane Louis, which was a Category <laughs> 4 hurricane. So in the space of three months, I experienced both a volcanic eruption and a hurricane. <laughs> and bearing in mind, I was 13 at the time. So this, um, yes? <laughs> yeah, so pretty drastic. Yes, uh, and quite memorable, because Antigua was totally disseminated. Um, if you know the structure of Antigua back then, all the buildings were, or most of the buildings were wooden. So that Category 4 hurricane really flattened a lot of the houses. Um, where, I, where, where we were living, we had to find another location to live. And then we had, like, shift system for schooling. Some persons had to go in the morning, some go in the afternoon. So it was quite chaotic then. Um, the volcano continued. Um, I was still in Antigua, and I didn't get the opportunity to come back to Mansot immediately. So when I finished my schooling in Antigua, I went to Trinidad. And that's where I did my first degree in computer science. But after completing that degree, um, again, I wasn't able to come back home, so I stayed in Trinidad, and I completed what was a four-year degree in three years um, by completing all my summer courses in Trinidad, and then getting the opportunity now to come back home. And the, the good thing is that my mom, she never left. My mom stayed here, and that's probably why I was enthused to come back home to see how I can help with development. So um, the port in Plymouth was um, co completely covered. The capital of Plymouth was completely covered in 1997. So that was two years after the start of the volcanic eruption. Um, the airport was subsequ um, subsequently affected and became unusable. So now Munster was faced with having to recreate or redevelop the island by providing access and um, cargo support and things like that in the northern portion of the island. And that's where my skill set came to play in the use of GIS and being able to apply um, knowledge about remote sensing and land application and things like that to identify where the best places to reoccupy the northern portions of the island. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so let's Let's talk about emergencies and mapping a bit now. Um, you've all worked on emergencies either in preparation, in capacity building, and I think we'll get to capacity building, but you've all actually been at the sharp end when hurricanes are blowing or storm surges or volcanoes and earthquakes. Um, so we wanted to talk about... Um, ideally somewhere where most of you have been involved working together as a team. Um, so I think the volcano in St. Vincent was one of the first ones that we thought we'd talk about. Um, so, Renee, you start us off um, by talking a little bit about the St. Vincent volcano. Yeah. Um, so working with the Seismic Research Center out of the University of the West Indies in Trinidad, they were monitoring, they're monitoring a lot of seismic activity in the Eastern Caribbean. And they alerted the government of St. Vincent and Sedima that they're seeing some anomalies with the La Soufre volcano in St. Vincent. And this was probably about 
six months before the actual eruption happened, where it started an effusive eruption, where it's just venting steam, in a sense. And so they enhanced their monitoring equipment over time, added some additional monitoring uh, personnel, and it we started, Sedema started working with the National Disaster Office in St. Vincent and the government in planning possible scenarios that can, can occur, coordinating with various entities such as the police force, the fire service, etc., to understand evacuation routes because it's just one road in and around the island um, and it mostly covers the southern three quarters of the island. So we have to move just about 25,000 people from the north of the island to the south. So we worked assiduously to identify shelters to accommodate these persons and also recommending persons to stay with friends and family if they have so as to not overwhelm the shelter system. So that required quite a bit of a coordination efforts in that beginning stages. And then the eruption happened. And thankfully, the, the seismic team uh, gave the order to evacuate mere hours before the actual eruption happened. And we were able to get as many people out as those who wanted to, to get out. Um, obviously, people stayed behind because they were looking after their livestock or their farms uh, because that was the, the mode of, of income for those persons. So it, my role was mostly in the coordination of data and mapping requests. Uh, starting out working with St. Vincent, and then the eruption happened, and not realizing that with the eruption of the ash, the, it broke the, the stratosphere, and there was more ash in Barbados than it was in St. Vincent. So, so a, a, there was a little shift in, in focus uh, to add m a multiple country impact and therefore having to coordinate with some of our partners such as NASA and Copernicus to help create data and model data as well as map action for surge mapping support in tackling the various requests we received from the islands that were also impacted from the volcanic eruption. So, Alan, were you involved in this as well? I did a lot of the sort of handshaking, getting everybody uh, together. And I think the, the thing that René has, has, has not mentioned is the fact we're doing this all under COVID conditions. So in actual fact, a lot of the people who would be going in to do the normal work that we do in a, a, the old days could not get into the island where they were very restrictive about the number of people that could go and physically support. So I was talking to Rene about how we could get a uh, remote team to support her. And it was uh, fascinating. I'm sure Laverne has got stories because she was one of the volunteers there. But I also got a guy who was based in the Philippines to coordinate it. And we had somebody in Turks and Caicos as well as people in the UK. It actually gave us 24-hour cover around the world to be able to answer some of the requests on 
on there. Um, and then the other thing I was doing while Laverne was uh, uh, responding was talking to all these other IM people. And that, that, that's the thing that's changed so much since Map Action started. We were the only kids on the block when uh, humanitarian mapping started out. Now there's lots of people creating stuff and we needed to coordinate better. So Rene and I were sort of saying, you know, different agencies, what have you got? What can you supply? And where does it fit in to what the needs are for St. Vincent and Sedema? So that's an interesting thing that I mean, you just raised something that I hadn't thought about because my whole image of map, map action is people like my friend Ant Scott who've got a bag packed waiting and a, they get a, a phone call or a message one evening and the next morning they're on a plane out to the Philippines, out to somewhere in the Caribbean or wherever it is. Um, but actually, during COVID, you couldn't do that so much. Um, and so you did a lot. Of, you know, and so suddenly you needed remote mappers. You needed remote people working remotely. Um, and I'm guessing that, you know, we often talk about armchair mappers, you know, particularly in the open street map world you know armchair mappers are sort of, i mean it can be used as a derogatory term i'm not saying it should be but it certainly can be but in these circumstances it's absolutely essential isn't it yeah it, and what it's actually done it's evolved our program quite nicely the, the 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 covid has had to force us to rethink how we do operate in these conditions and give support to people where we can't reach them like this and now we've got these sort of fluid situations where we can either be totally in the field we can be hybrid with people in the field doing a lot of the sort of frontline stuff with people doing their armchair mapping overnight maybe to create better data or nicer maps or whatever they've got the time and in a relaxed environment to be able to do that or completely remote as well and, and you know that has given us that flexibility of models coming out of that so Laverne this was your first deployment wasn't it this was my very first remote deployment yes um the thing about covid was that everybody was online everybody was posting online everybody was absorbing content and then when the volcanic eruption in St. Vincent happened and I saw basically a deja vu of what I went through. It was like, okay, I, I got to do what I can do to help, and that was provide geospatial support. So happy to have had the opportunity to volunteer through my action. Um, I became a volunteer in 2019, so literally two years in, and I'm responding to a remote deployment in St. Vincent. And that was quite rewarding and also very intense <laughs> so what kind of maps did you produce uh, so we first created a reference map of the island so we got data with regards to where things are and then we produced a shelter map to identify where the population is and where the shelters are located identified information that we received from Sidema we mapped information received from Sidema to, to show where people were coming from so the villages that were most affected and where they were going to. So where the, displaced were, where the displacements were happening. And that later went down the road of providing information as to water resources, um, the number of persons in shelters by age and, and um, sex, and just breaking down the information that's helpful to persons on the ground to be able to, to distribute aid appropriately. So... One of my favorite little topics, 
paper or digital? Renee. Go on. Uh, yeah, digital all the way. Um, all the way. <laughs> all really? the way. Uh, paper, paper maps have their, their use in the field, but uh, I, I prefer to start with a digital map um, and if possible a digital interactive map and that way we can then create the static outputs with, okay. with printouts as we need them Laverne you agreed I think there didn't I you? I agree, dynamic yeah. maps things that you can zoom in to get really really close or zoom out to get more context Okay, but Alan I think may have a slightly different view well, no, old I was going to exactly say this. Uh, make a plea that it's not just an age thing, but when you're in the field sometimes, paper maps are incredibly important. And I know on some of our recent missions, people are still doing print runs of 60, 70, 80 maps to hand out at a meeting because people have not got time to go and search for our website and find the actual digital product or go online and try and do interactive maps. And it's the kind of thing that if you make the map right, you know, black and white maps in particular, very simple maps, People can scrawl their own data over the top of them. So, yes, I agree. It's all great when we've got connectivity and yeah. digital stuff. That's fine. But there's still a place for printing them out and having them in your hand. And I'm guessing that um, in some of these situations, you don't have connectivity. Yeah. It's still well, not hard. in the early days. Um, yeah, yeah. So, go on, Renee. Yeah, with with technology now, we're we're advancing the bringing the internet and electricity to the field when we have situations where we, there's no connectivity at all. So we're, Sedema is working on kitting out mobile generators, uh, Starlink, for example. Uh, we have our VSATs and our SAT phones available to transmit data and emails. But yeah, there, there is a place for paper. Wow. Uh, I, I do agree. I've converted but it's like her. Last on my list. It's like last on my list. All right. All right. Okay. Um, I think there, Alan, I think we could agree that maybe there's an age thing here. It, there is two. There is yeah, two. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, one thing I would to say in, is that if you're using a mobile phone or a small tablet, trying to get an overview of a large area on a digital display is not easy because all that zoom layering that we use, you know, because we, it's really smooth when you zooming in to gradually display the, the detail. If you're going the other way and trying to get an overview of a larger area, um, you lose everything, you know, whereas paper, you can open it out and yeah. Uh, and one of the big things in a, a mission is the map action will sit in a coordination cell, which would be a, a fairly big room. And we try and take advantage of one big wall space and we pin up maps on there. And sometimes there can be A0 size, you know, great big uh, sheets that anybody can walk in and just glance at it and get that overview. So that map wall concept has been really important for us to tell tell the story of the disaster. Okay, so... <laughs> Hurricane season, uh, 2017, um, you had a double hit. You had two hurricanes in 2017, Irma and Maria. Why do they give them these? Why are hurricanes always given ladies' names? No, they're men names too. They're okay. men names too. It's, okay. It's every other name. It's 
the gender name changes. Oh, I see. So it would have been Irma followed by Joseph followed by Catherine. Something like that. Something, okay. Yeah, exactly. Right. exactly. Okay. So, Alan, um, you were involved in Irma and Maria? Yeah, I was actually one of the first people to head out when Hurricane Irma was planned to be going into the islands um, and flew down to Barbados. And we then realised it was going to be heading to the Northern Islands. So I flew north to Antigua with a colleague. And then uh, overnighting while the storm hit, we found out the next day that two islands in particular, British Virgin Islands, BVI, and Anguilla had been very hard hit. And so my colleague and I split up. She went to Anguilla. I, because of the experience in BVI, went there. And it was, uh, you know, a shocking sight for me to remember when I lived there and seeing all the... It's quite a high-end country, you know, lots of good tourism and yachting and such like. Uh, To see it devastated in the way it was was quite heartbreaking. And and meeting a lot of friends that had, had their houses destroyed was a very personal thing for me. And I was... Uh, you know, glad and, and honoured to actually have a chance to go and support a country which had uh, supported me for so many years. So it was, and I, I, having all the data in my gander bag uh, that could take out there from previous years actually helped as a good backup because the systems had gone down. This is where the internet and the backup systems on island had been trashed by the storm and I was able to map because I still had an off-island reserve uh, in, in my pocket. And uh, So yeah, I had things like all the electricity wires and the water systems and such like, which helped the Royal Engineers to actually identify, you know, where had all the systems gone down and what needed repairing. Um, yeah, so it was an intense seven or eight days out there trying to get things running before other people could uh, do the more routine stuff, getting them back to the recovery phase. And Renee, you were also involved in those hurricanes. Uh, actually, no. Um, that was before my time at Sedima. Right. But I, I lived through the impact of Maria lashing Barbados with its winds and rains. Um, Maria was one of the most largely spread out hurricanes I've seen, um, covering islands uh, from Grenada all the way up to Antigua and Barbuda, although the center of the eye went over Dominica. Uh, So at the time, yeah, I was not at Sedima. I was not in my radar, but I guess fate will have me here now. (laughs) (laughs) So so something that just occurred to me listening to you, all of you talking about this, is that you have foresight. Um, I think we sitting away from Hurricane Alley, away from the centres of these disasters, um, think that they happen suddenly. You know, but it sounds to me as if a lot of the time you you know when an earthquake, um, a volcano is starting to um, to get active. Um, you've got some early signs of. Uh, earthquakes and certainly you've got a few days notice not a few months notice of a hurricane coming in yeah earthquakes are quite tricky but most of the others these days there's some predictive science that can be done to actually forecast and you know there is a big push within the united nations system at the moment to do early warning for all that you can actually not just 
get the experts to be able to predict it, but to pass that on to the community so they can build resilience. Um, and Map Action is involved in a, a, a concept called anticipatory action these days, which is both helping to predict the um, the event, but then also looking at the potential impacts. And if we can actually forecast the impacts, you can put aid out before the event happens, much more cheaply because all the roads are still running, all the uh, logistics can actually work, uh, and people can look after themselves and be more resilient. So there's still a lot of geography and, and mapping and good innovation that can be used to support that. And it's, it's, a, it's quite a nice area that Map Action is moving into now to try and support that program. So presumably if we know the sub-ocean areas that are most vulnerable to earthquakes, we can actually predict the path of a tsunami that might result from that. Yeah, and again, it's not necessarily something that we as disaster responders would do, but we reach out to those people who are doing that kind of science and find out what's the best prediction, not only what the, the science is, and you know, scientists quite often use very uh, complex probabilities and all the rest of it, but can we translate that into actionable uh, early warning and action for the, the people who's going to respond? So that's our role, is that brokering of the technology into a, a, a practical solution. So let's talk about the partnership between Map Action and Sedema. It's 10 years or more, more, coming up for a good bit more than that. Um, is there still a partnership needed, Renee, or is Sedema pretty much self sufficient in looking after itself now? Uh, I would say self self sufficiency is is not the best term to use uh it's a work in progress um i i think the partnership with map action is evolving as we continue our our relationship and we are we here at Sedema are continuing to strengthen our own capacity through policy and protocol development. We're looking at inclusion of more tech and also human resourcing and training initiatives. And one of the things that we're, we're trying to further develop is our partner relationships. As we can't do it all ourselves, and our partners who are experts in those areas, we leverage them for that support. Um, and then we, we build out our capacity to then transfer that to the participating states so that they can also in turn build their capacity off of our, our model system. So we, we are forever grateful because we are concerned that with climate change, disasters are becoming more frequent, more lengthy, and also more severe. But addition to that, we are seeing a multi-hazard impact scenarios, but also multi-country impact scenarios. And, and these stretch our resources here at Sedema, especially if we have an impact in the Eastern Caribbean and one in the North, Northern, Northwestern Caribbean, or maybe even in, in the South, in South America. So we, we cannot tackle all at the same time so this is where we leverage our partners to support and Matt Patchen has been very very integral in helping us build out our capacity and continue to strengthen our our development uh, protocols for responding to disasters. So Alan what what is Matt Patchen doing now with Sedema? Well 
Before I answer that, I'd just like to say that when I described the early work we did, it was all sounding a little bit ad hoc, but you know, we've had very generous funding from the USAID program, the Bureau of Humanitarian Assistance. And once we had those funds put in place, we were able to be much more strategic to support Sedema uh, over the last few years. So the capacity building is one element of that. Data discovery and um, cleaning data and having you know the best data available for emergencies is part of it. But as Rene's saying, you know, we're evolving that argument because uh, a lot of the nation states of the Caribbean want their own capacity to do this, recognising that they have very limited resources. I mean, Laverne is the GIS person on Montserrat, for example. You know, how do you manage to train people up with all the skills and all the facilities to do that? We've got to think about very special cases to get that appropriate training in place. And, uh, you know, that that is a, a, a sort of thing that's coming through in humanitarianism quite strongly now is that local resource capacity building is actually really essential because if you've got that localization of humanitarian effort, it's people right at the grassroots are supporting their own communities and neighborhoods. And as you've already picked out, people who live there understand what it is, the challenges they're doing. And you're not theorizing, you're not thinking about sort of, oh, it's something I read on the news. They've actually lived this stuff, so they know what works and what doesn't work. So I think that's really important. And I'm I'm excited by the fact that, you know, Rene has done a huge amount of work to get the foundational stuff in place. And now we've got the chance to move that discussion onwards. So I think there's, there's a lot still that we can do in terms of new technical innovation, use of UAVs, for example, use of uh, new uh, analysis techniques that could actually really pinpoint where the aid is needed fastest. I think that's really important. So Laverne, you're, you are GIS on the island of Montserrat. I right? am. So but I wear, yes. Do you have volunteers or people who can can help you? So here's a challenging bit. I, I am not, my, my role in the government of Montserrat is not in the disaster management office. So I am outside physically. My office is not in the in the DMCA. Um, however, through Sedema, I have been able to um, link with the disaster management office and provide support to them. So um, it's it's how should I say it? It's um, challenging. Right. So, so. <laughs> effectively, if I got that right. In the actual disaster management office for Montserrat, there's no GIS person, no GIS specialist. No. Right. So I fulfill that role for them as well. So in addition to volunteering for Map Action, I do provide the local office here with GIS support. Um, Alan. Yeah, it's it's interesting because we've just recently completed four sets of trainings around the region, one in Barbados, one in St. Kitts and Nevis, one in Grenada and one in Dominica. And the intention there was to bring the GIS people who might work in a physical planning unit or a land and surveys department and the disaster managers. And we teach the disaster managers about GIS and we teach the GIS people about disaster management. And we do a little simulation at the end and Rene and Laverne, you, you know, it really worked well, bringing, gelling that team together to answer some specific problems. And I'd love to see that being put into practice when the next response is needed. Right. Sounds great. Another additional way in which we, we um, raise awareness is through GIS Day activities. So that's how I locally create that sensitization to the benefits of GIS. 
And um, last week we had GIS Day. It's usually celebrated the third week in November on the Wednesday. And we were able to, on Mansfield, we're able to bring together a host of persons who utilize GIS in their professions. And one was the director of the Disaster Management Coordination Agency himself. So he spoke and gave a, a really good appreciation for how GIS has helped him to um, help relieve um, disaster risk and resilience in Mansur. Great. So I guess this is a question... Well, it's a question for all of you, but I'm going to put it to Alan first because I think it's, it's you built a partnership over a number of years, a decade or more, with um, Sedema, what was before Sedema and afterwards. And is this a model that you can transfer to other regions? Yeah, um, certainly the bare bones, the framework is there, you know, and that's really useful. And also the learning experiences that we've got from such a long partnership. Uh, Map Action has several other regional partnerships at the moment, one with the uh, uh, ASEAN uh, in Southeast Asia, the what's called the AHA Centre, the ASEAN Humanitarian Assistance. Uh, we also have a partnership with a Central Asian uh, agency looking after Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan. Um, and we're just starting out on a journey with the Southern African Development Community who have 16, 18 member states who are all struggling with food insecurity, cyclones, which is the southern hemisphere equivalent of hurricanes, um, issues of conflict as well. And, you know, we're starting to think about the similar model of a central coordinating unit like there is in Barbados, uh, a surge capacity team of information management specialists like the Map Action Volunteer model, uh, but then also that national capacity building as well, so that you've got resources in country, that foundational stuff, that then you can draw on when you need help across a certain region. And so, yeah, you know, we've learned a lot of lessons and it's been painful learning lessons in there, but it's been an enjoyable journey to actually learn out what works and what doesn't. Okay, so, Renee, I'm sure you'd agree with what Alan just said, but based on what you've learned, what would you, what changes would you like to make within Sedema and what... And what would you recommend to other regions that were adopting a similar model? Uh, the one thing I'd add to that would be more training initiatives. Testing of the plans and protocols that are written, refining to refine those and make them better, but also testing scenario exercises. So that needs to be more frequently done so that it becomes routine. You can do it in your sleep because one of the other things that we struggle with in the Caribbean is personnel movement. And we constantly have a new influx of personnel and an outflow of personnel. So we need to have a schedule of training activities throughout the year in order to make sure that we make maintain capacity. So I'm guessing that in a way the challenge is not people like Laverne who are doing this full-time every day, but it's the people who are doing this as a byproduct of their job or it's something that they jump into and it's easy for them to get out of touch with what's going on. And, of course, people change, like you said. Um, reminds me of fire, fire alarm tests um, 
in buildings. You know, I mean, it's all well and good having a fire alarm system, right? But unless you have regular fire alarm tests and actually count how many people get out within how many minutes and all of that, it's pretty useless, you know. Um, so, yes, Alan, you wanted to join in here. Yeah, I mean, it's the other thing about the... Um the localization issue is that you can't expect to be training one person to know absolutely everything. Laverne is a brilliant person, but I don't think she could do absolutely every job in, in, in mapping these days because it's such a big subject. So what we need to do is build that sort of community of people that know about different aspects and work out who knows what where and be able to tie them in when you need them. And one of the things for Map Action is that you know we do hope that national uh, agencies can cope with the small disasters, but when the big ones happen, we're still there to support. We've not walked away okay and laverne yeah one of the things that i've been pushing here and most recently this week um, is that we can help ourselves in terms of prepping data so one of the things that map action does really well is called a data scramble but locally i think we can um create that data for ourselves and ensure that it's correct accurate because we know our community so I've been engaging girls this week um, as part of a hot humanitarian open street team mapping program to update the maps for Mansred and adding their local knowledge to it. And then this data can then be used by responders such as Map Action to help us when we can help ourselves. And I was reminded, Laverne, when you were talking about a GIS awareness, a GIS day, you know, a GIS awareness day, that... Um, Lots of organizations that I used to work with in the public sector, they would have a GIS day where people from all across the organization who had never had contact with GIS would drop in for just half an hour and talk to somebody and gradually discover that this sort of geeky little corner that the map makers sat in, that they could actually help them with education, with social services, with planning for an emergency, with understanding where the power cables were, where the water tanks were, or what all the things that you guys need to deal with in an emergency situation as well. So a lot of it is about awareness being spread to people outside of the geo domain. You know, the people who don't need to know how to do it they just need to know that there is somebody who could help them if they ask the question getting them to ask the question is a big step forward i guess okay i think we're we're drawing to a close but alan had um a little topic that he wanted to sort of wrap up with which was i think small island nations and there are a lot of small island nations alan aren't there yes and i've got a terrible reputation for working in many of them they all think i just sit on the beach all day long um, and why not and why not tell me why not uh, i quite happily do it uh but i also try and help those nations uh get better ge geographies about knowing what their uh, landscape is like what their marine environments are like and using gis and remote sensing to do that and you know it is that issue though of the fact that the number of people who are specialized in certain subjects is very low and 
if you're in a department, you quite often have to do a load of other jobs. You have to be a jack of all trades, really. And uh, when I was at BVI, I did about 10% of my life was t- GIS. The rest was helping everybody else out. And that's why I admire someone like Laverne, who you know has been the sole GIS person on an island like Montserrat. And there's a, there's a bunch of people like that around these small island nations that really do go out beyond. And the fact that she still volunteers for Map Action on top of everything else she does with the government of Montserrat is fantastic. So let me just finish up. Um, Normally we just ask how can people get in touch with you? But on this occasion, I want to ask a question because there's going to be loads of people who've been inspired by what we've been talking about. And maybe some of them want to get involved and help. So if you want to help, um, do you go to Map Action? Do you send an email to Renee at Sedima? Um, how do you get involved if you're a mapping person and you want to volunteer? I, I'd suggest two ways. One is that if you're global, Map Action uh, is building up its volunteer pool from time to time. We've just actually gone through a recruiting exercise, but there'll be another one next year. And although we like our GIS volunteers who are ready to go and map anywhere in the world when a disaster happens, we also have some more specialists in data science, data engineering, uh, analysts, much more specialist roles are, are coming up now in Map Action. if you think you've got the sort of expertise that can help. But the other aspect, is if you live in the Caribbean, and I hope some people are listening to this in the Caribbean, we do want to know about your geospatial experience because you could be in the right place with the right tools and we just need to help you in to support the disaster management community. Yeah, okay. So get in touch with Map Action. get in touch with Sedima, Renee. Yep, you can contact Sedima. We are Sedima at sedima.org. Pretty simple. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, we are welcoming volunteers. We have a community of interest that we're trying to build because if a country is impacted, I personally would like to give the locals in that impacted country a little time to ready themselves and, and get their family in order. So we will definitely be deploying other sister island personnel to support that country while they get themselves uh, situated Okay, so you can find Map Action's details and Sedima's details in the notes at the bottom of the show notes here. We'll put those in there so that you can find them. Um, Laverne, Renee, you have my admiration. Um, I, I have to say, I've learned a lot talking to you. You know, I, I think my ideas of the Caribbean. Um, have, have certainly changed a lot from the one vaca- one or two vacations that I've had in the area. Uh, Alan, um, fantastic work from Map Action. Um, you know, I think we, all of us who work in this community, appreciate what Map Action does. Um, just a shout out to all my listeners here. Um, if you've had a this this episode is going to actually 
published just after just at the beginning of the new year the new year if you've had a great christmas and new year and you're thinking about wanting to do something for a charity and maybe you're not a volunteer you couldn't have help out by being a donor um yes they get money from big organizations like usaid but they also need donations from people like us and um if i was going to say what my favorite charity your spatial community is it would be without a question map action they need our help they need our support they do wonderful work on behalf of our community they help people like laverne and rene so do think about when you go to mapaction.org there's a donate button somewhere on the home page i'm certain of it um chucking in a few quid to them would be a great thing to do to start the new year off so think about that Renee, Laverne, Alan, thank you so much for being here, for your time and everything that you do. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Take care. Thanks for joining us today and listening to the Geomob podcast. Hope you enjoyed the discussion. Get in touch with us if you have any feedback or suggestions for topics we should cover. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly mailing list where we keep you informed about upcoming events. You can, of course, also follow us on Twitter where our handle is geomob. Thanks for listening and hope to see you at a geomob event soon.